Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. All right, everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am your host, and I am... Uh, so excited to introduce you, well, kind of to introduce you. We, we have uh, two guests here uh, on the uh, podcast today. Uh, an old favorite, not a new voice to the podcast, uh, Ms. Shannon Brommer. Shannon, how are you? Very well. Thank you for asking. Good. And Mr. Tom Crowley. Tom, how you doing? Great, Jim. Good to be here. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about creating a culture of generosity today. Um, this is right. This is your wheelhouse. This is, this is kind of where you, where you all, uh, live. Um, Shannon, you're the you're director of uh, stewardship and development here for the archdiocese. Tom, you're one of our major gifts officers. You're a member of the coaching team. Um, you're helping to, uh, support pastors and parishes and schools as they, you know, try and engage in fundraising and development and create cultures of stewardship before we dive in, though, like tell us, tell us who you are, Shannon. Like, tell us a little bit about your faith journey. All right. Well, I um, I just feel so grateful for um, when I think about my faith journey. It it's always been. It's it, it's never. I've never been not on this journey. I just feel like my parents were beautiful models of kind, caring, loving, uh, committed to their Catholic faith. Uh, people and uh, we moved a lot and um, had the chance to to experience different parishes and and different Catholic schools and a public school here or there and just uh, to really see what faith is when it's alive and especially you know at grow ongoing I think that's what I appreciate the most is that I continue to experience people who just inspire me in that in big and small ways, they are making sacrifices to always be on that journey. And I just, I relish um, my chance to to watch that and to um, really witness Jesus in their desire to love and care and, and, you know, just make an impact in the world. So it's nothing profound. It's just very, mm-hmm. very steady and um, without, uh, not without its, its valleys and peaks, but uh, generally, just um, keep on keeping on and mm-hmm. trying to um, grow closer to Christ every day. Well, you you weren't originally from Omaha, were you? Where you you mentioned traveling around schools, parishes. Yeah, uh, was born in Iowa. Um, like oh, I'm my sorry. good friend Tom here, <laughs> just, and uh, no, I'm a this proud, will be funnier later when Tom says. I'm a proud bean walker and detasseler. Thank you yeah. very much. Mm. Um, and then we lived in um, Texas for a while, and then actually here in Omaha, kind of we kept moving further west, only as far as a hundred and. 14th Street, but uh, so hit a number of the schools and parishes along Center Street. Okay, that's mm-hmm. great. Tom, tell us a little bit about your story. Oh, my story. My wife would say, you know, I'd say, gosh, I have a pretty ordinary story. And my wife would say, Tom, there's nothing ordinary about your story. Um, but I, you know, I, I grew up in a Catholic culture and, uh, you know, we're, um, we were so blessed. We had a Catholic grade school. We walked to school. 
my dad worked downtown in this little town of Neola, Iowa. Uh, we all worked at the drugstore. Um, so for me, you know, faith was was just ordinary. It was mm. like, in a way, it was just a very ordinary part of who we were, where the church was so much a center of, of our life in, in a small town. We look out our back window and we see the church steeple. Mm -hmm. Everything evolved, everything in our little town evolved around the church. Um, and that was that was my culture uh, growing up. But I would say for me, my when we talk about encountering Jesus, my first encounter with Jesus was, and this will date me, but it was uh, October 4th, 1979, when Pope John Paul, St. John Paul mm. II came to Des Moines. And I was 18 years old. Uh, my mom and my brothers and uh, several, uh, a number of people from our little parish, we drove mm -hmm. at 3 o'clock in the morning to drive to Des Moines on a cold day. And we mm -hmm. wait and we wait and we wait. Mm -hmm. We're part of 250,000 other people. I mm -hmm. came from a town of maybe 500 people. Mm -hmm. So to go to a place where there's 250,000 people mm -hmm. stretched across the hillsides, uh, there were more porta pots in that place. <laughs> more por seriously, more porta pots in that field than there were people in my hometown. I mean, I had no idea there were so many porta pots. That is fantastic. <laughs> so that that was, but no, that that the experience just really opened my eyes that um, you know that I was part of something much much bigger than myself. I mean that 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 blew me away, but it really awakened a desire for for Christ in my life, uh, and a, and and so when I left and I went back to uh, school, I was a freshman at Creighton University, and I couldn't get enough theology, mm -hmm. I couldn't get enough spirituality, I couldn't get enough mm. um, a, a desire to go to mass every day, and uh, and anyway, so that was that was very formative for me, but. You know, going on, you know, there's been a lot of years since 1979 and uh, <laughs> 42 years. And uh, there have been many turning points uh, in that in those years, many times where I felt very close to to God and and many other times where I felt very, very far away. And uh, all I would say is that, you know, there's a lot of would haves and should haves, but I I wish that I would have surrendered uh, mm -hmm. sooner then later, but I do know that, and again, I, this is a turning point. It's a part of our journey is that God finds us in our brokenness. Yeah. And uh, and that's where he found me. He found me in my brokenness and some shame and some, just some real struggles in my life. And uh, so that turning point, you know, helped me to find some acceptance and surrender and, uh, and the ability to turn it over uh, to God. But Mm. But with that, too, you know, I, I want to say uh, my wife was very much a part of that journey. And um, uh, I, I continue to be amazed at the way that I encounter Christ, you know, in the work that I do in the ministry that we, Shannon mm -hmm. and I, get to share every day because it is a ministry. Mm -hmm. And we're grateful for that. Gosh, Tom, I actually I was not there in Iowa, but I actually have very strong memories of that, too. I remember my parents sick as dogs, which, you know, they never got sick, but I remember them sitting in the, uh, together on the hide bed sick, but what glued to the television, watching John Paul II at Living Farms, which then turned into a family vacation years later. And they, they went to that spot where he was, where he, where he went to, to visit. So 
yeah, I feel kind of a feel kind of a connection there. That was I, I didn't they didn't put the porta pots on TV, and maybe I didn't remember that. But there's I'm feeling a connection, so that's not an easy thing to transition from in conversation here. <laughs> I, got, I have nothing other than you mentioned the ministry. Talk about your day jobs. Talk about what what you all do. Well, you know, I've been um, with the Stewardship and Development Office for almost ten years, and uh, which is hard to believe and. You know, our work is really about just a couple of things. I mean, we are uh, are about um, ensuring that the archbishop has what he needs in order to to fulfill his vision and goals for the archdiocese, and and a lot of that revolves around financial resources, but also around leadership and you know lay uh, involvement. Um, but we also do a lot of work in supporting our parishes, schools, and ministries to implement and understand what this ministry is all about. And mm -hmm. so the first goal, we we do a lot of work um, with the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, with the Ignite the Faith campaign, the Archbishop's Dinner for Education, really inviting the people of our um, archdiocese to share their gifts to to build the church and um, and to support people and to help us provide scholarships and to do some really marvelous things ac across the diocese but then the second part where we're you know working with those who are involved in stewardship and development whether professionals or volunteers um, we have a series of educational uh, workshops and net professional networking and um, workshop type of activities that has been going on for almost 10 years and really proud of that activity. Um, bringing, so it's really, I just was on a call with um, TJ Ernst and um, Katie Bakit from Duchenne and, and St. Vincent de Paul. And mm -hmm. They were talking about how how this group has a community is a community, and we really know each other and support each other. And I'm really proud that the Stewardship and Development Office of the Archdiocese has helped be a part of that. But other ways too, we do one on one support with parishes um, to help them implement best practices uh, and to just understand and connect with with each other to see how it is lived in other parishes or schools. And then other things like Tony Lamar in our office is. Really really hands-on with parishes to help them with their legacy planning and and Tim Bogatz on um, with the foundation helping parishes build their endowments and so just a, a lot of really great opportunities to to create environments and cr to create opportunities for people to share their gifts and for the people of the of in our parishes and schools to grow and and do the same nice so let's talk a little bit about let's kind of just set the table here as we get started, we want to talk about, okay, a vision for generosity and stewardship, because I, I love the way the two of you talk about this. I mean, you see it as a vision, that there's a, there's a real mission and ministry in this. As we get started, though, kind of like just distinguish, if you would, between some terms, right? You know, like generosity, stewardship, development, fundraising. There's a number of things that sometimes get conflated in people's minds. If you would, just kind of like... Define some terms for us so we can zero in on, on our conversation today. Sure, Jim. Um, well, just briefly, what I call generosity, um, to me, generosity is something that's just, that's generative. It, it, it's life-giving. You're not holding anything back. And it's not a matter of just saying, I'm going to respond to this need, but it's, it's just being responsive, just truly being responsive, kind of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And hey, you know, if, if they need a if they need a cold cup of water on a hot day, give them a cold cup of water on a hot day. But if they 
If they need flowers, give them flowers. You mm -hmm. know, maybe there's, maybe you're just filled with gratitude and you want to do something. So it's not just about needs, but it's about pouring yourself out uh, mm. for someone else. Wow, I, I love that. It's not just about needs, not that that doesn't happen, but it's this beyond giving. It's a pouring out of yourself. That's fantastic. I mm -hmm. love that. The other one we call it, we use all the time, of course, is stewardship. And stewardship is part of our, our language. Uh, it's part of our tradition. But to me, stewardship is uh, what I call the response of a disciple. It's the person who has encountered Jesus, the person who has had that uh, great awareness in their life that everything is a gift from God. Um, it's, it's how we it's how we respond. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's really, it's more of a practice. The third one that I would, is development. And development is, to me, suggests, you know, the strategies that we use to, uh, to deepen awareness and deepen engagement and generate the resources that we need to do. And, and so uh, in order to drive the mission, we have to create a plan. We need a plan. We, we are people who, who thrive on plans. And, uh, we just can't take it for granted that people are going to give, but we let's let's cre make mm -hmm. sure that we look at all the strategies that will help uh, drive this mission forward. Hmm. You know, and the and the way we we talk about it in our office often is that you know the generosity and stewardship are really ways of life, mm -hmm. where the where development are the methods or the ways the, the like you said, Tom, the, the practical methods that we use to invite people into particularly into um, their financial and participation um, gifts. Yeah. Okay. And where does where does fundraising fit in this? Because again, that often gets thrown in as though it's the same thing. And I think you make some helpful distinctions there. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we certainly are looking to raise funds. I mean, there's there's a uh, a, a need we have we have material needs. Our churches have to have the funds to keep their lights on and to do the great work uh, that that is happening in our parishes, schools and here at the Curia. Um, but it it has it's probably not as bad of a word as it has become, but it it has a sense of a lot of people just think fundraisers. And so it it loses the the sense of invitation. It's it's more it, it's more about the funds rather it rather than about the connection between the person and the mission or the ministry or the or the opportunity or the vision that they want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And so it's I mean it's definitely an activity, but um but where where development and fundraising distinguish themselves is development really is about developing those relationships. It's about mm. develop me, me, Tom, at our our work. We are getting to know the people of this diocese and what's important to them and how can we connect them to the to the archbishop's vision. And so, yes, funds might play a part in that, but it's but it's more about developing that connection and when we and fundraisers are just fundraisers and yeah. transactional that's you know we talk a lot about the difference between a transactional uh, program and a transformational program gosh i i love that because i mean that that distinction between okay yeah you know, fundraisers events things just designed 
to raise money to a, a transaction versus the relationship. I think that's where the rub is often where you're, you know, I mean, the experience, not, not since being in Omaha, but you know, a, a former school in parish, I was, a, I was a part of where the magazine sale and the cookie sale and the, and the volunteering for this and that, it felt like the faithful good citizen application of those, those little fundraising programs it felt like that was distancing relationships. You know, it was burning us out and like, hey, grandma, do you want to buy cookies again? And then it's like, you know, if your kid doesn't get the cookie, then they have to go sit in the corner while everybody in, or, you know, doesn't sell the cookies. They have to sit in the corner while everybody else in the class gets a pizza party. <laughs> it was right. just, it, it didn't, it didn't deepen relationships. It didn't draw people into the vision the way you all are talking. Could I just add to that, that, you know, I, I, when we think about those, I I don't know if this is true, but I would imagine that the reason we even have these kind of activities is because because people are afraid to talk about money. Yeah, they, yeah thank you. Like, how did we get here? Yes. Why, why does that feel like the norm where there's magazine yeah. sales and mm -hmm. cookie sales and on and on? I have this goofy example, but I feel like, you know, no one has a problem asking uh, someone who plays the piano well or the organ well or sings well to share their gifts in mm -hmm. the choir or at the school. Or if you have, I have a great business mind and to share that acumen on the, on the finance council, but someone, we all have financial gifts and why are we afraid to ask people to, to, to spend to expend that resource as well? And so I think because people are afraid of that, we create these other really unfortunate <laughs> methods of mm -hmm. of raising dollars because people don't want to invite that particular gift. Yeah. And but and I I don't mean to disparage some of the really great activities that are happening in our parishes. Well, no, and sometimes schools. they're fun. Right. Sometimes they do draw people together. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what Let's it should be. Let's be honest. About. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> Yeah, I was in a parish one time where every Monday night it was a bingo night. And granted, bingo, bingo was so absolutely critical to supporting the Catholic schools. Uh, but at the same time, it became we were prisoners to bingo. We were oh, yeah. the, everything else in the parish was a prisoner to bingo on Monday night. Oh, my poor dad, who was a good citizen volunteering for his parish, he would come back with a splitting headache. He smelled like smoke. You, poor guy. I mean, he had allergies too. So it was just, it was just this awful experience once a month or however often he had to volunteer. And, and he would, again, it was, I was young when this was happening, but I remember he would relate stories. of just kind of looking out and watching the people and they weren't even having fun. Like there was, there was no joy there. There was no life there. And it was, yeah, it was kind of keeping the lights on, but anyway, yeah. I just want to take a moment because we can get really practical at the end, but it seems like a good moment now. For those who are listening, volunteer, professional, pastor, whatever their role is, how do you, how do you make that transition? Where, where you, maybe you feel stuck by all these fundraisers and you know, you're like, yeah, Jesus talked about money. There's nothing wrong with talking about money, but I don't know how to get started. What would you say to them? How do you help how do you help people get over that that inhibition? The important thing I think is to constantly try to bring it back into the mission of the parish, bring it back into the mission, um, keep it keeping it central. As disciples, we are 
invited to recognize that everything is a gift from God. So looking at the most menial task as something, as an opportunity to become the hands and the feet and the heart of Christ to somebody else. And to me, that is the, the parable of the talents kind of bring, comes to mind, you know, where the, we, we're all endowed with certain gifts. We're all, we're all blessed by God in so many ways. And we don't want to just go off and bury our gifts. We don't want to just go off and, and, uh, and, and hide our gifts. Or, but to recognize that these gifts are an opportunity for me to go out and, um, you know, to, to raise up other disciples, to, um, to further God's kingdom, to maximize the gifts that God has, has given me, and the, and the gifts of this parish, to, to enable this parish to really thrive. Um, so, yeah, we have, to, we have to keep looking, you know, outside of ourselves, you know, beyond the simple and realize that, we're, again, we're part of something so much bigger. Okay, so I heard you say two things there, and I want to break it down and, and expand those. One, I, I heard you say that it's, it's all about mission, inviting people into the mission. Uh, and I want to talk more about that, but I also heard you say it, it's about inviting people to give of themselves, living out their discipleship as stewards to participate in something. And, and at least at that level, it's about people helping people express their faith, express, like make their walk of discipleship concrete. I just want to, if we could focus maybe on the first one and we can, we can come back, inviting people into the mission as kind of like the heart of beginning to do development and stewardship. Well, that's not just theory. I remember, Tom, you and I have talked about the University of Notre Dame did a, a, a study where they, they objectively analyzed and studied habits of Catholic giving without, without regurgitating the whole thing. Like, just give people a little bit of that, because I thought that was just fascinating. I mean, this is theologically sound, but it's also researched, too. The main point that I walked away from that was that we have to we have to start thinking in terms of abundance rather than in hmm. terms of like paying the bills. So that money has become, as I kind of said earlier, has become this kind of dirty word. And and so if we can start just seeing that it is a gift from God and that we are invited to share those gifts and that if our leaders can not hide behind anything and be you know develop attitudes of of gratitude and of just larger you know just sense of vision and abundance so inviting them into the mission and vision means that instead of like getting up in front of your your parish and saying we can't make payroll this week. Let's get ourselves around a vision for who we want to be and let's invite people into what that's going to look like. And then people can invite people to respond to that. And we've seen pastors, I just, I mean, you just see the courage it takes to move Mm -hmm. from, and, you know, they don't want to get up and say, here are the facts, but, here are the facts, and but here's where we're going to go, and join me. And the studies showed that objectively, right? right? That mm-hmm. counterintuitively, communities that spoke about money and finances more often did better than those who didn't, and those who made invitations 
around a mission and a vision did far, far better than those who said, well, payroll's coming up or, well, everybody sees the huge hole in the parking lot, that there was, that calling people to a mission and a vision was unbelievably more fruitful in engaging people financially and increasingly so as you went down through the generations. I mean, I think, you know, this is, we could talk about, this could be a whole episode, but I think a number of those who are, who are in the stewardship and development arena kind of recognize the generosity of the baby boomers, their stalwartness in faith as they pass, pass their wealth to the next generation. There, there's some apprehension about how, how giving patterns will change when a younger generation, and that, that could be a whole podcast, but one of the secrets is talk about mission. Because young people love it if you have a mission. I mean, they choose what kind of shoes they're going to buy and what kind of soda they're going to buy if a, if, a, if a company can somehow convince them that this is the ethical tennis shoe to wear. Anyway, I kind of went on a tangent. <laughs> it's a good yeah. tangent, though. Yeah, but it's, it, and, and it's hope if you feel trapped in fundraiser after fundraiser after fundraiser. Jesus talked about money. <laughs> you, you have permission. And as you're trying to figure out how, you don't need to be afraid to bring it up. Just talk about it in the context of the mission and vision of this community. Yeah, I was talking to Father Kiter yesterday about this, and uh, I have to give a, a shout out to Father Kiter because he, his parish council, they are really looking and diving into what it means to be missional. And, uh, and so the issue of, uh, of fundraisers, has has surfaced, mm -hmm. and especially in light of COVID, and and the and because of the lack of the opportunity to gather as a as a parish and as a community, yeah. that has really impinged on you know their fundraising. But what they have found is that uh, it's really been a call to action and a call to mission, um, and inviting people to really. Uh, look again at what they are giving and how it can be transformative of the community so that it's not just a transactional uh, ticket they're, they're buying or, uh, or uh, sponsoring a, a raffle, but they are really looking at trying to dive into being missional. And so he told me that he had a meeting with his uh, uh, parish council, with all the committee chairs, with every uh, chairperson of every fundraiser uh, that they have in all I'm curious how many people that was. Was it over 100? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. I'm just, was, I'm just teasing, but it's like, it sounds like a large group. But to, to, to have the conversation, that's the key. To have the conversation about what does the future look like for us? What would the future look like for us without these kind of fundraisers? Yes, let's have fun, but let's not, let's not make this event the end-all, be-all, exhaust-all-resources event. <laughs> Exhaust-all-volunteers, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think it's an awesome step. Activities like that really should be, back to what you were asking, Jim, they should be about celebrating that mission and celebrating that vision mm -hmm. and coming together to rally around that, to get to know one another, to build community. And, the, you know, we might have the have the bad rap of, of being the ones who always want to pull the rug out of out of people's fun, but that's not it at all. I mean, it really is just mm -hmm. if if you're going to gather people, don't make it hard, and to, mm -hmm. to you know, don't make the, all your volunteers utterly exhausted by the time they get to the to the event. And so, anyway, yeah, that's... I've seen this done well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been I'm in parts of of nights where 
it's not auction after item after auction item after auction item mm-hmm. um, where everybody's there and they're happy and they're joyful and they walk away with real conviction because mm-hmm. the night's all about stories mm-hmm. and they walk away with real conviction that man th- this is this is our number one number two charity mm-hmm. because they they've heard again mm-hmm. the stories of the impact that this community or this ministry is offering mm-hmm. and gosh it's it's beautiful it's life-giving uh, and sadly that's not always our experience a quick break to tell you about our mentorship program Do you desire to deepen your personal relationship with Jesus? Do you desire to help others to know and love Him? The mentorship program will equip you in your call to share the good news of Jesus. To learn more about the mentorship program and to apply today, visit archomaha.org slash mentorship. Bless those people who have worked so hard to do what they've done. And again, not to disparage, but into to celebrate what was accomplished, but I think moving forward, and like you said, Tom, in this world of COVID, it, it gives us a chance to really rethink. Right. And it's an opportunity. So it, let's say if, you know, if a parish or if a volunteer is listening, it's like, but I am the event coordinator. It, you're saying, well, first off, we're forced to re-examine because of COVID, but maybe a baby step is to say, okay, if we can't gather and we can't do it the way we always did, how do we begin to tell stories? How do we begin to gather people together around the mission and vision? And there actually is some opportunity to do that, even if you know, e- even if numbers and distances uh, are are limited. If someone's sold, like, okay, I know I need to cultivate generosity. You know, th- this is this is. If you're a pastor or if you're somehow, you know, connected to a church and a ministry and there's, I have a desire to see the spiritual maturity of my people grow. So I know I need to cultivate this generosity, this stewardship living in them. How do you get started? Like what, what do you do to cultivate generosity? What I would recommend um, to any parish looking to really dive into a culture of generosity is first of all would be making sure that you're forming and informing your leadership team. I can't say that enough. I mean, the pastor and, the, and his parish council or his leadership team or his development team, his parish staff, they all need to be on the same page. And so we need to form ourselves. We need to be informed. We need to educate ourselves uh, about the culture of generosity. And the, the key thing here is that we're not just handing them another uh, book uh, manual to say, here's a program, go and do, you know, Jesus didn't say go and do this program. He said, go and make disciples. And so, uh, it, but that process involves conversion. I was on a retreat last weekend with uh, a Zoom retreat with Father Ali, Andy Alexander, and he, he has a wonderful line. He said, conversion does not happen because I made promises. Conversion happens because I fell in love. So conversion is, and that's the heart of the document, uh, the, the stewardship of disciples' response. That's the heart of it. It's, it's about let's wrestle with the discontent. Let's recognize the reality. But let's also look at the why and the purpose and what we desire. I think that whole idea of conversion begins to open ourselves up that to see that everything that we do um, involves... It, when it comes to to 
cultivation of generosity is that to help people be generous, let's first recognize how much God has done for us and where God is leading me. Yeah. Can you give an example or kind of like a, a before and after? Because you're talking about conversion, not just the initial conversion, like, oh, I discover who Jesus is. But you're talking about like a, a deeper kind of a second, a pastoral conversion, if you will, where I'm experiencing conversion around the issue of stewardship, the, the cultivation of financial gifts, the cultivation of of someone's walk as a disciple. Talk more about that. Like concretely, can you give an example or kind of a, here's what the before is like, here's what the after is like. You know, I, I guess as far as um, conversion, it's really been fun to watch what's happening at St. Pat's in, um, in Fremont. Uh, we've been, they've reached out, we've reached out to them to just, to take a really deep look at, at their whole everything they do not mm -hmm. in their in the world of development in the world of advancement in the world of stewardship both with the parish and the school and and father nolte just and their principal dan Koenig really saw that we can come together around stewardship mm -hmm. and and that that is something that we can um, own as both a parish and a school community. And so they're on this wonderful journey of just figuring out what that looks like. But, but you know, but just, you know, hearing Bonnie and Nicole at, at, at St. Pat's and, and Bergen talk about their vision, it's their, the needle is moved. I mean, they, mm. they know it's about invitation. They know it's about transformation. They know it's about, um, engaging uh, people in their mission. And um, and so they're fighting the tough fight with uh, how do we make these changes with practices that are, that have been in place for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, that it isn't easy. And, but it, it just goes back to I mean, you know, Tom, the first, we, we are, we are deep believers in the, um, the pastoral letter from the bishops around uh, called the disciples response and, and have gone back to it time and time again, because it just paints such a beautiful picture that, um, that you can really help in that process. Mm -hmm. So how else there's conversion, this right intentional prayer reading, mm -hmm. you know, like that, that you're saying, well, let's just start with us. Let's start with the leaders, the pastor, the stewardship team, development staff. Uh, start with us, work on conversion. What else? Like, how else do you cultivate generosity or a culture of generosity in a community? Well, back to, back to what I said about Father Andy Alexander with that, you know, conversion happens because I fell in love. I do really feel that a culture of generosity will thrive in any parish that really puts forth the effort in evangelization. If we provide our parishioners with opportunities to fall in love and stay in love with God, uh, that will produce, that will produce uh, mm -hmm. change in people's lives. That will, that will, that, you know, we talk about uh, Alpha and, uh, and other programs like that of evangelization that are, you know, considered conversion engines. And that it, it, it just, it heats up the parish, it, gives, it provides that heat, it provides that stimulus uh, to, for people to begin to say, what is God calling me to? And it changes their, their, 
awareness of everything then as gift from God. Um, in a way, it allows them to, you know, there's an expression, allows them to wear the garments of, of life lightly, you know. And uh, I, Tom, I love that. I had a, uh, I won't relate <laughs> to protect the innocent. I won't, I won't relate to, but I had a conversation with a, you know, a staff member at a parish that was working hard. They were doing a capital campaign, but they were stuck and they were way short of what they were hoping for. And you, you mentioned earlier, right, the, the document from the U.S. bishops, stewardship, a disciple's response. And for some reason, I had just, I had just been reading that and just, just had that. It was a conversation. It was back front of my mind. And I just quickly quipped, well, if stewardship is a disciple's response and the stewardship thing isn't working, maybe you should try making more disciples. <laughs> and, and, and that was um, maybe a little, a little snarky on, on my part, but it, it completely resonated. And, and I think they actually did almost exactly what you, what you recommended, Tom. They went back and said, wait a minute, stewardship is an overflow of the life of discipleship. What are we doing to cultivate disciples, to, to make disciples in our parish and to help them grow and mature so the stewardship comes naturally? Mm -hmm. I think we, for many parishes and for many years, we we thought our Catholic schools would be that driver. But I mean, we yes, Catholic schools certainly help drive people into discipleship um, and help people to fall in love with God. But but we can't put we can't totally focus on Catholic schools. We have to look beyond that. We have to we have to help people to fall in love. And there are a lot of people who are not in Catholic schools. We have to provide opportunities for them to fall in love. Well, and it's an adult choosing to give from your financial resources. Or I mean, again, you can teach children this, and you know, I try as a parent, and I know many of our schools and religious ed programs try and do. But giving, living as a steward, really is an adult. It's an adult expression of faith. Not to say that we can't grow and nurture it in the lives of our of our young people, but this is adults have to be formed and invited and asked into this, this way of living as a disciple. So what else? How do people, how, how do you cultivate a culture of generosity? So, um, you know, we talk about stewardship committees and I think it's such an important concept for parishes to really consider, again, putting that structure and intentionality around the creation of the, um, of a culture of generosity. And so these committees, I, we, I've, I know we've seen committees where, uh, you know, they've worked so darn hard, and but they just can't gra gain ground in large part because they're not quite received by the leadership. They're not part of the, they're not part of the vision and mission. They're, they end up being relegated to the fundraising team rather than, than, than the, the team that's helping to create the culture of stewardship or the culture of generosity. But what, what they can, and, and we have lots of, of, um, you know, again, this, the 
disciples response and and some of the great work that's happened in Wichita and um, and St. Louis, who have some really good models of of what a stewardship committee can look like and how it can make a difference in 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 creating that and then creating that those methods like. How, What's how are you welcoming new parishioners? What's it like when mm-hmm. a, when someone walks into your parish? Is it are they welcomed? Are is it a warm and in, inviting um, experience? Are we is is what we're doing with worship in inspiring generosity? Are we again back to the formation? Um, so I think where it where a steward. So to your point, a stewardship committee can if it's part of the leadership team, if it's part of the of the soul of a parish, um, it can really create the the rhythm, the methods, the plans for the practical of of creating that culture. Yeah, Shannon, I I love that because I mean, right, you're kind of you're speaking my love language. You're, you're you're basically talking about evangelization for sure. <laughs> you know that 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 this is a this is part of the whole package of welcoming and inspiring and drawing people to Jesus. And you even said with, with worship, it is not by accident. It's not just an act of convenience that we choose to take an offering during right the the, the liturgy of the mass, during during the liturgy of the Eucharist. That it's like that's that's not accidental. It's like, well, it's just convenient. Since everybody's here, let's pass a basket. It's an act of worship. But often we relegate it to a transaction and we don't teach people how to make it worship. Mm-hmm. Maybe as we as we kind of close here, I want to give you guys a chance to 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 just speak from the heart, talk about your, you know, talk about your passion and your conviction on this. Um how do we how do we begin to pull together some of the best practices, you know, the the desires to create a real culture to to form people in disciples as disciples and let this stewardship be a real overflow of their life. How do you, how do you all pull it to how do you pull those things together into a culture? Great question, Jim. <laughs> it all comes down to I think again the our credibility and you know Pope Francis talked about our credibility is going to be seen in how merciful and compassionate um, hmm. we are. We need to look beyond ourselves and parishes if they really want to dr- create a culture of generosity, they are going to immediately recognize that uh, this is not a country club. This is not about what what's in it for me. It's about what I can do for others, what I can do for um, the unchurched, what I can do for the poor, what I can do for the hungry, mm. what I can do for the stranger, what I can do for the, uh, for the alien. To recognize that piece of living mercy that is, it has mm-hmm. to be central. So yes, I mean, it's, there's so many different pieces of a culture of event of a culture of generosity. There are so many different pieces of it, but again, number one has to be living mercy, and also then folding. And I, I love this idea of folding generosity into every part of the parish's life. Every part has to be enriched by a sense of stewardship, as, uh, uh, an awareness of of God's gifts. It, it's like the yeast that gives rise to the to the to the dough. It it impacts worship. It impacts mercy. It impacts day to day communications. It impacts accountability. It impacts leadership. It impacts uh, our prayer and our participation in our generosity. 
Hmm. Tom, I I find that very hopeful because I hear I hear two things as you as you say that. One, maybe less hopeful, a call to conversion. It doesn't matter how many best practices you have around development, how well trained or polished your development director is, how good of a prospectus you have. If it's if it's all about us, if it's self-referential, we'll never really get to that ideal that we've tried to talk about of a real culture of generosity. And that's that's a call to conversion for for communities and institutions who have shiny prospectuses and who have well-trained staff and who have all the databases and tools and best practices. It's a call to conversion for them and it's hope for little parishes in rural Nebraska and for inner city parishes. When you have a mission and a vision that's not just all about you, that's bigger, you're saying that's the key and anybody can do that even if you don't have a shiny prospectus. Shannon, close us up here. What Offer us some, some final thoughts here. Just to piggyback on that, I love that when Archbishop Lucas, he just so often says that his hope with with all of this work that we're doing, you know, on missional communities, on unity for all of us, but but what he continues to come back to is he wants if people hear the word Catholic, that they think mercy. And I really just, I just echo what Tom says. I mean, it's just that we can do all of this um, to ensure that our parishes are in um, sound body. And, but if we're not taking it, if we're not impacting our neighbors and it's not, it's, we're not, we're not doing as Jesus did. And so I just, I, I'm so grateful for my time to really come to better understand the depth and the beauty of stewardship as a, as a way of life. And that, uh, Tom, as you said about what generosity is and that it's, it's really, it's, it's generative. It, it, it builds, it grows, it completely it's transformative and it it's going to be exponential because it's going to inspire others especially if it comes from that heart of of gratitude and and love wow fantastic so we you know we started before we we hit record really praying that this conversation would be a blessing and inspiration uh that it that it would be um uh, maybe a little bit of a challenge uh, to our listeners. So it, if it has been an inspiration, if it's been a challenge and somebody's listening and they're like, help, now what? Okay, fine, you, you pricked my conscience. How do they, Tom Shannon, how do they, how do they get a hold of you if they, if they want some help beginning to, to make this real in their, in their community? Yeah, call call our office. Reach out to us. I mean, we'd be happy to to start the conversation and um, and just to hear where you are and um, to help connect you with the great great work that's happening across the diocese because we have you know many examples of good things and and I I have to just so because I did not say a huge thank you to every single person in, in this diocese who is making an impact by whatever mm-hmm. gift they are sharing and the people who are working in our parishes and schools. And, 
you know, just keeping at it and, and doing it from the heart. And Mm -hmm. so, um, it's a real ministry. It's a real service. It is. So, so yeah, we'd be, you know, we'd happy to receive those phone calls. Okay. So we will put the uh, contact information for Shannon and Tom in the show notes. If you want to find the show notes, you can find the show notes at equip.archomaha.org. Uh, we'll link there that Notre Dame study. Um, if you're really a nerd and you want to do the whole thing, that's great. But the summary is actually where a lot of the gold is. So we'll link to the Notre Dame study. We'll link to uh, stewardship, a disciple's response, um, maybe a couple of other goodies on there. And then you can you can reach out and uh, connect to Tom and Shannon. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs>